Welcome to episode 85 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on your podcast player of choice or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This show is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with retired Army Colonel Sean Ryan, Director of Communications for Army Emergency Relief, the Army's only nonprofit organization serving active duty soldiers, retirees, and their families. Sean retired from the military after nearly 30 years and worked extensively in the public affairs and international communications field during his time in the military. You can find out more about Sean by checking out his bio on our show notes. So let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So, Sean, I, as a retired Army non-commissioned officer, I'm certainly familiar with Army Emergency Relief. Of course, it helped out a number of my soldiers, and even I used it as a young soldier. Before we get into AER and what it is, though, I'm interested in hearing how you became involved with the organization after your own military service. My first interaction, I was a young private first class stationed in Germany without a clue in the world what was going on. (laughs) I thought I was going to Desert Storm. They told me don't unpack my bags, but as it turned out, they were coming back. So I never made it over there. And then I found myself working in a signal battalion in Karlsruhe, Germany. I had a very sick mother-in-law. As a young E3, new in the Army, I did not have the funds to go back home because obviously back then the, the prices were very high as well, over $1,000 if I recall. And so uh, someone suggested I go to Army Emergency Relief, which I did, and they proceeded to help me very quickly with a zero-interest loan, which in turn I paid back, I think, 12 months at $100 a month that was within my budget. And I flew home and we took care of everything and it all worked great. And so from that time on, I always had a very high opinion of Army Emergency Relief. And then I started giving myself through allotments through my time in the service. I was then a, became a lieutenant at Fort Riley, Kansas. And one of my additional duties was the Army Emergency Relief Officer, called an Arrow now. And so I actually worked part of the campaign for two different cycles, and we would get soldiers to help donate. And so, again, I always had a very high opinion of Army Emergency Relief, never knowing that I would later work for them. Of course, that was far from my mind and 20 years earlier. And then I had a boss that I worked with at Human Resources Command when it was still in Alexandria, Virginia. And he'd give me a call about four or five years ago, but I was still fully invested into the United States Army and I wasn't planning on retiring anytime soon. But he said, hey, we have an opportunity. And I just said, hey, thanks, sir. Uh, keep me in mind. And uh, if we ever cross paths again and it connects, that'd be great. If not, we're still close to this day. And then lo and behold, uh, I retired and I just kind of planned on hanging out for a while and enjoying life. But I had already taken about three months of my leave a vacation time. And so I was twiddling my thumbs at home and I got a call and asked me if I was interested. And 
again, I knew the organization already. I knew it was a very good organization. And then I knew that he had been there probably close to 13 years or so at the time. And so I highly respected him. And I knew if he worked for that organization for that long, then it has to be a really good organization. And so I applied and I ended up getting the position as the director of marketing communications. And it couldn't have worked out any better. And I'm very proud to be a member of Army Emergency Relief. Yeah, like you said, it has a very good reputation. Like you, I was in Germany at that point when I needed emergency relief. My wife and I, we were stationed overseas. Our daughter, our first child, was probably two or three months old. And my grandfather passed away, World War II veteran. And while we had the leave, we didn't have the means to go back and, and honor him and support our family and things like that. And so same thing. You know, somebody said, hey, check out AER. And it was, again, they were able to help me out. And, and somehow it, it seems to inevitably be needs-based when those young soldiers or young NCOs or even young officers who might need some support, AER has always been there for soldiers in the Army. Yes, we're actually celebrating our 80th year. So it started in 1942 during World War II, and we've been going strong ever since. And, you know, through hard times and rough times, but AER has always been there for soldiers, soldiers helping soldiers for 80 years. So it's a great organization. Matter of fact, uh, we just received the, the Charity Navigator top rating, seventh year in a row for charities, which is among the top 10. Army Emergency Relief gives back 90 cents to the dollar back into the program to support soldiers and their families. And it's very high. If you look into a lot of other charities that do great work, but very few can contribute that much to the organization and to help out soldiers. Yeah, it's been a fantastic move for me. And like I said, I'm very proud to be part of the team. And as you mentioned, 80 years, it's been around a long time. It's similar to other service-related support organizations like the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society, the Air Force Aid Society. Again, the idea is sort of like the AER is always there to help people out. But if people may not be familiar with the service relief societies, what can you tell them about AER? It got started, like I said, 80 years ago. And back then, the soldiers were going off to war. And they were really unprotected because a lot of them were landowners, even worked the fields and things like that. And then all of a sudden, the breadwinner of the family just takes off for one to four years, which is a very long time. And so they were left unprotected. Families had to be taken care of. And that's kind of where General Marshall stepped in with the Secretary of War, Henry Stimson. And they want to relieve undue stress, financial stress on the workforce of the soldiers. And that's how it came to be. And that's really our mission Today, it still stands that we serve the enduring priorities of the soldiers and help them relieve financial stress. So since AR has provided $2 billion to nearly 4 million soldiers, including $1 billion since 9-11. And of course, if I haven't mentioned, it's zero interest loans, grants, and we also do scholarships to about the tune of $12 million a year. So I think we do a lot for the soldiers and their families. And there's very few times where we cannot support a soldier. But a lot of people don't realize that AER, as an organization, it's separate from the Army, right? It's not a Department of Defense program. It's a it's a nonprofit, as you were just talking about, the Charity Navigator thing, that a lot of people think that, you know, there's an AER office on every post, but it's not an Army program. It's a separate organization. It is. And now we do fall under the Army organization as we are the Army's only official nonprofit. So we're part of the Army, but then officially we're not. So we're in a different category, but we're 100% a nonprofit. But a lot of Army leaders sit on our board. We have the Sergeant Major of the Army that sits on our board. We have the Chief of Staff, the Vice Chief of Staff, and a lot of commanders throughout the Army. So we're very well connected 
with the Army, and we work very closely with all the active duty and reserve officers and NCOs. And not only just in the Army, and as I mentioned a little bit before, the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society, the Air Force Aid Society, all of the branches have something similar to this. But you also work closely with the sister service relief societies. We do, and I did not know that when I came in because a lot of things have changed. And AER has done a really good job of changing with the time. So we work with our fellow services. We actually have a, a map you can put your address in on our AER website, and it'll tell you how far away you are from one of the relief agencies, mainly Army. But if you walk into an Army Relief Society office, even if you're Navy or Air Force or Marines, Coast Guard, they can help you out and they can transfer all your paperwork to that sister service to get every soldier, airman, sailor, Marine, whatever taken care of. So it's really great. And we have good collaborations. There's a lot of events where we all go together. Matter of fact, we all set up booths at this year's Wells Fargo Golf Tournament that was in Maryland this year. So it was great to kind of hang out with other relief societies and brainstorm with them on how best we can serve our fellow military veterans and active duty folks. And as you mentioned, I think that especially the changing face of the military, joint service positions, you know, you and I are here in Colorado Springs, which is an Army and Air Force town, but we got some CBs, right? There's some Navy, there's some Marine Corps folks who are here. But if you and I went to San Diego, I don't know any Army posts in San Diego, right? So there are different, there's joint service organizations where a soldier who may be stationed in Norfolk, for example, or Pensacola, Florida, might be able to get some support, even if there isn't an Army Emergency Relief Office there. No, it's true. And like I said, it's dynamic that all of these relief societies work together and can help anyone out at any time. So it really goes to show that the military tries to take care of its own and I think does an outstanding job and doing that. Now, as long as AER has been around, obviously the needs have changed since you and I came in, right? You know, in the 90s, but especially the needs of service members and their families today are very, very different than they were even 15 years ago, the beginning of the global war on terror, much less 20 or 30 years ago. How has AER adapted to the changing needs of the service members and families today? Yeah, like you mentioned, we both were helped out with plane tickets for emergency purposes. And of course, we have emergency in the name, but I can tell you we have over 30 different categories and uh, no category is set. If someone comes up with something different, we always try to look out for them as well. But I can tell you we have rent, initial deposit on rent. We can help with mortgages, temporary lodging when you PCS, food, utilities, medical. We do some dental care for dependents. One thing that we do is like cranial helmets of, say, TRICARE or whatever medical insurance service members have if they don't quite cover all those costs. AER will cover those costs for Army folks. And then, of course, if you something happens to your car, and uh, that's one of our most used things, it's probably the top two requested is POV repairs and maintenance. If something happens to your car, you can go in and go to AR. You can actually go to your commander or first sergeant as well. They're authorized what we call the quick assist program, where they can authorize up to basically $2,000 on the spot. And then they'll go through the Army Emergency Relief Office and they'll do all that paperwork. But you can get that really quick, but we'll help with monthly vehicle payments, things of that nature. Some of the newer categories that we just started have been really great too. I mean, we help with the floods, the hurricanes, things, any type of disaster assistance, AER helps with as well. And then of course we can do minor home repairs, working with deductibles of say your roof blows off or something like that up to $5,000. So there's a lot of things besides just emergency travel and funeral expenses and things like that, that Army Emergency Relief helps that. So it's been really great working with them. And like I said, there's very few times where we have to tell someone, you know what, we just can't help. That has happened. I think we probably helped 40,000 
soldiers and families a year. And I think we've had to say no five times out of like 40,000, which run the numbers. That's pretty phenomenal in my book. And it's probably just because they just didn't qualify or there's some, they're in some weird category that they just didn't fit into where we couldn't help. And they, there's probably another nonprofit out there that can help them, but it's very seldom that it happens with us. And so in a, I think that everybody thinks that AER is the one that you write the checks, right? You give the money, but right. it's more than just that, as you were just talking about. Again, you and I both know that the military is not a money-making organization for the no. individuals who serve. It's in, in, and budgets can be tight. And we've talked often, even on the show, about food insecurity and things like that. The statistics of we're all one emergency away from from being in serious financial hardship. And that's what you're talking about. If somebody has a car that breaks down, if that's the only vehicle that maybe a young service member's family has, their spouse can't get to work, they can't get the children to childcare, it's more than just paying to get that car fixed. It's actually supporting that family to get them through hardship. One thing we're trying to have them avoid is what we call going outside the gates. And you can drive outside any military post. It doesn't have to be Army, and you'll see the payday-type loan folks. And listen, we live in America. There's nothing wrong with having those businesses. However, you just have to know going into that that the rate is very high, where AER offers zero-interest loans versus you know they may offer 35% across the street. And oh, by the way, if you don't pay in two weeks, it compounds. Your $500 loan may turn into a $1,000 loan within a week or two. That's one of the reasons we exist as well. And we're just trying to get soldiers to be smart about their money. And the Army, this is a little side note, but the Army does offer financial assistance as well to where a soldier can come in and they can get some financial help on how to do budgets and things like that. It's under the MWR and ACS programs. But I can tell you one program that we just started recently was the financial literacy program. And basically soldiers can go online and take like a 45 minute class and then they can take a test. And if they have an AER loan, if you're E4 and below, it's $200 off your loan. And if E5 and above, it's $100 off your loan once you pass the test. And so there's little things like that. We're just trying to help with financial literacy. And we just want soldiers to be smart. You know, it's a different time frame, and it's, every generation is different. And in our generation, you know, our squad leaders and platoon leaders knew a lot about us. Now, I think the army is a little more secretive and people are like, hey, I don't want everyone knowing my business because times have changed. And that's fine, too. We're not always trying to get into people's business, but we just want them to know there's a place to go if if they run into financial difficulty. And so probably one of the worst things that we hear is, oh, army emergency relief. Wish we knew about it. And I can tell you one of the issues that we've had in the last 20 years that's, that's different from when you and I had served is that normally we would have a briefing to soldiers every six months or every 12 months. But you know, we've been 20 years worth of war. And you know what, with everyone deploying, that's one of those things that gets put on the side. Hey, am I going to go to my pre-deployment brief or am I going to go to army emergency relief brief? But come on, you're going to go to the deployment brief because that's just, it makes sense because that's what you're doing. A lot of the information that we used to get out to the soldiers in formation stuff has kind of gotten lost the last 20 years. So that's one of the things that we're trying to have come back again is making soldiers aware. So it's not 100% participation as far as them giving. It's 100% of them knowing that we exist and we're here for them. It's literally soldiers helping soldiers to your fellow battle warriors on your left and your right. We want them to use as us because that's what that's our main goal in life. Our main mission is to help them out. And not just the soldiers themselves, the service member, but the soldiers for the Army Emergency Relief, but the families as well. Yes. There's scholarships that AER provides, not just to, to soldiers, but also to family members. So 
We have two different types of scholarships. One is the Major General James Orsano Scholarship, and we probably do over 2,000 scholarships a year. And we also have the Mrs. Patty Shinsheki Scholarship as well, and that's for Army spouses. And combined, we did $12 million in scholarships last year. So that's a pretty big number right there for you know Army emergency relief. So we're there to help the families out, and we're hoping they use us. I can tell you one thing that happened during COVID is that a lot of folks quit going to school. So we saw the numbers drop and it's US wide is because one, a lot of jobs opened up and two, people just didn't want to go back to school because of COVID. So we're republishing all that information and we're hoping that the families and, and the spouses sign back up to, to use the scholarships. They can get a scholarship for every semester. They just have to apply each semester to get that. So we have army spouses that literally received scholarships their entire college career to help them out, to, as well as the, the children of Army soldiers as well. And I talked about the one thing that we're also doing as far as new categories is we're partnering again with National Military Family Association for child care. We understand that child care is very expensive now. And during COVID, of course, a lot of places shut down. And we saw some soldiers had to bring in private care, which maybe tripled the cost. So we're partnering again with them starting in September. This is our third year now. Last year, we gave out over a million dollars just in childcare expenses. We've earmarked $600,000 starting in September for families to apply for childcare. So it's about $3,000 for each Army spouse if they apply and get accepted to that. And of course, it's needs-based, but we're hoping that a lot of people apply for that. And see, and I think that's another great example of, yeah, that wasn't happening 30 years ago, right? right. I mean, it was, yeah. and, and again, not to beat the old soldier horse, but that old idea in the 80s and 90s of the military wanted you to have a family that would have issued you one, recognizing now that the support of the military family is supporting the soldier, which is ultimately supporting the mission, like you said. And uh, we talked about categories. I did want to throw in a couple other newer ones, too, because, again, back when you know we were serving, they didn't do this or no one did this. It wasn't just AR. But one thing that we noticed was a lot of soldiers were leaving their pets behind, mm-hmm. especially if you're going overseas. Depending on where you go overseas, sometimes it's expensive to ship. And then they might say, hey, we need a corn your pet for 45 days or something like that. Plus, they might charge you $1,000 to to ship your dog over. So we did start the pet assistance program as well. And so now soldiers can apply for the pet assistance and we will help pay to get their pets overseas because we understand pets are part of the family and we don't want to separate any family members. And then the second one that we started just last year is called the Career Skills Program. And the Career Skills Program is Basically, if a soldier is getting ready to leave the Army, they can do an, in, if they find an intern somewhere, and the Army has a lot of different intern programs that you can sign up for, if they get accepted into the Army's career skills program that we support, they can go do an internship for their last six months or a trade school as well. And AER will help pay the cost of new uniforms, or maybe it's cost for traveling, things of that nature. But depending on where you're stationed, you can get it anywhere from 500 to 1000 to $1,500 to help you with your transition. So far, we've had over 1,200 cases distributed almost a million dollars of what we originally earmarked $4 million. And a lot of folks, you said, have been taking advantage of it. E4s and E5s have probably signed up for about half of the slot so far. So we're hoping more people take advantage of that. But again, these are some of the programs that we're coming up with or we're seeing that, hey, we need help here. And we're trying to provide that to service members rather than they just get out of the Army and, hey, hope you got a job after you're done. Because we want them 
to represent the Army after they get out as well and say, hey, listen, the Army really took care of me. I was able to do an internship for six months before I left the Army, and then that helped me land a job. And we don't keep the statistics, but the Army does, and it's a very high, higher rate for those folks that go out and they do an intern, and then the company or a different company will hire them. I think it's over 90%, I believe, last I heard. And so that's pretty good stats right there, because what we don't want to do is have a soldier get out of the service, and one, they don't go to college, or two, they don't have a job, and now they're on unemployment, things of that nature. So we see that where that's the problem, and so AER is doing the best we can to help. And one thing I did want to mention also is that I look at Army Emergency Relief as being a bridge. We're never there to fully pay everything for the soldiers and their families, but we're definitely an amazing bridge that we can help them solve some of their financial problems that they're having. So that's kind of how we look at it as well as, hey, we're here to help. And like I said, we've helped over 20,000 soldiers and families this year alone. So we're on to have a very big year. I think we're looking now back at 2019 numbers. We're catching back up to where we were minus the two years of COVID. So it's great for us because that's what the money is earmarked for. And then lastly, I'd like to say also that we couldn't do this without the help of soldiers' donations, outside organizations. And it wasn't until two years ago where we actually even asked outside organizations to help with our mission. But now with the financial literacy program I mentioned, AUSA donated a million dollars to that cause. So that's great for us because we can earmark other funds for different things. And that's just for financial literacy. So we're getting a lot of corporations like USAA on board and they're helping and they can really streamline the process on where they want the money to best help the soldiers. You know, I think that's really great for an organization that's been around as long as AER has. For it to continue to be relevant, it needs to adapt. It needs to meet the adapting needs. And like you said, when I got out in 2014, I think that was maybe just the beginning of the career skills program. Like, I I didn't know about it. And so this is something that the Army and the services themselves have really adapted and recognizing that supporting service members through the transition. Honestly, it's a national security issue because Uh they... They get out and they say that the military is a very good career for young people to choose. So it's great to hear that AER makes that adaptation, not just for the needs of the individual, but also to to meet the emerging needs of the force. And you can see with the economy probably the last year, I mean, if you invested money, a lot of people were looking pretty good probably three years ago before COVID. And then it came back a while and then it just completely tanked. So you have to build up that nest egg to help not only yourself, but in an organization like ours to to help thousands and thousands of service members. You have to have that nest egg and you have to continue to find different ways to receive contributions as well because we're fully on board with the fact that now a lot of things are done on your phone. There's GoFundMe pages and things like that. It's not the old school to where, hey, fill this out in triplicate and do an allotment. Soldiers don't do that anymore. If you have kids, mine or older, they do everything on their phone. If we go out to eat, there's a QR code and you scan it with your phone. They don't even give you menus at a lot of places nowadays. So we're recognizing that and we're trying to adapt as well to where a lot of the information that we're putting out is now has QR codes. We're working with Venmo and other companies to where, hey, if you want to contribute, just scan this QR code and you can do it on your phone, even if $5 or $10 or your coffee for the day or whatever program we have. And then another way, I want to give definitely a shout out to AFES now AER is at AFES to include the Air Force Society as well. So if you go to the PX on post and you buy something, it'll ask you, would you like to donate to 
either Army Emergency Relief or the Air Force Relief Society. And soldiers and airmen can choose to do that as well. So that's helped out greatly because, listen, we understand a lot of people don't want to do allotments anymore. And like I said, a lot of it is 100 percent. We just want soldiers and their families to know about us. We just want to know, hey, it's there if you need it. And if you'd like to contribute, great. But we just want you to be aware of our programs and what we have to offer. This is uh, it's been really great to be able to share what AER is doing. If folks wanted to find out more about AER and sort of how to get involved, how to support if they want to do that, how can they find more out? Probably going to our website is the best way to do that. So there's the long way and there's the short way. It's armyemergencyrelief.org. It's also aerhq.org. So that's probably the fastest and best way to find out information on, on what we have to offer in the different categories. You know, that's amazing. It was great to to hear this many years later, right? You know, AER mm-hmm. helped out me and my family, as I mentioned, helped out a number of my soldiers. I always said if there were, and usually it was things like emergency travel and stuff like that, AER was always something that I, as a leader, recommended that soldiers go to, like you said, to avoid payday loan situations. So it's great to hear that AER is still growing strong and love to hear that it's going to continue to go strong. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, thanks so much. And one thing I'll leave you with is soldiers don't have to go through their chain of commands if they don't want to. They can go straight to an Army Emergency Relief Office and they will take care of you right then and there. So I know that sometimes there's a stigma with people don't want to ask for help. And our saying is asking for help is a strength. It's not a weakness. So we encourage all soldiers to to get help however they can, but please come to us first. So thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that is free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. If, like me, you spent any time in the Army, you've likely heard about Army Emergency Relief. And if you were associated with the other branches of service, then the Navy and Marine Corps Relief Society and the Air Force Aid Society. As I reflected on my conversation with Sean, however, I realized that he was right. In my mind, AER was something that I thought of early to mid-career, and as it became 2010 or later, I don't recall hearing much about it. Again, as Sean alluded to, it almost became like, wow, I didn't realize the Army Emergency Relief was still around. The insight into how the deployment cycle and the operational tempo cause leaders to decide what briefings to hold or what topics to focus on might be an important one. There's only so much time to do so much stuff and some things get pushed farther down the list. Ironically, however, the frequent deployment cycle and the stress of life in the military in the past 20 years likely caused more situations where service members found themselves in financial distress and, not knowing about AER, but still having the financial challenges, needed to do things like access payday loans like Sean was referring to. The key point here is that if there is a need, there's likely an organization out there that can meet that need. It just takes some looking. And if the solution comes at a cost or seems to be more burdensome in the long run, then someone out there has probably tried to solve the problem. The other point that I'd like to make is how much I appreciate that AER has adapted to the shifting needs of the military. Like Sean and I both said, the quote-unquote old way of using AER was to buy plane tickets for emergencies or to support someone in a true big event. But the big emergencies are only part of the chaos of military life. Again, As we've talked before on other episodes, there are a number of different things that contribute to financial instability in service members. 
rising housing costs that outpace housing allowance, availability and cost of childcare, spouse unemployment and underemployment, all of these things create a financial burden on the service member and their family. Add to that the very real fact that very often there's not a lot of financial literacy in service members. Even as a young sergeant in the late 90s, it was my squad leader who pointed out to me that the interest rate that I was paying on my auto loan was way too high, and if my monthly insurance premiums were higher than my car note, then there was something wrong. Even outside of those kind of things, as a young soldier, I would often choose to spend money on what I wanted rather than what I needed, and if I find myself in a bind, then look around for help. But AER recognizes that as well. Supporting soldiers in their case is not just about providing a no-cost loan that solves the immediate problem, but also works in coordination with other organizations to help serve the long-term problems. This is another great example of an organization that addresses a wide host of needs in a very particular way, but is also part of a service ecosystem that has organizations that addresses those needs in different ways. In the military and veteran support space, we often talk about silos, but the way that it could be and should be is a network of organizations that focus on what they do really, really well and are connected to other organizations that do what those other organizations do really, really well and helping those in need to navigate between them. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Sean. If you did, let us know by dropping a review or sending us an email at info at We would appreciate knowing that you're listening, what you think, and what you would like to hear about in future episodes. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the link to the PsychArmor course, Budgeting, Debt Management, and Investing. As you may know, PsychArmor provides a number of different courses related to financial literacy, and this course provides learners with steps to help them budget accordingly and manage debt as they progress towards financial wellness. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at the podcast app, as well as on psychharmer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media and let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. Much appreciation to the team at Psychummer that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and Emma Atherall, who provides valuable coordination and support. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.